It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? There's Donald. Airing it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on Bell, the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet 1. And it's time for part two of the mailbag. And for that, of course, as always, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. And our next question is from Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen and gangsters, course referring to you Chris after watching the Eagles game can you tell me what Gase was actually working on during the bye week to compensate for a weak offensive line and a third string quarterback or is there just no coach in the NFL who can scheme around that you just sit on it Peter there's no coach in the league that can scheme around that we can quibble with what Gase did there are certainly little bits and pieces that he did that I don't like I certainly don't like the fact that Le'Veon Bell was coming out and saying that a lot of players were confused about where to line up that is completely on Adam Gase but as far as the actual scheming and the play calling again we could talk about that he ran a little too much or he was a little too reliant on Le'Veon Bell whatever it is you want to say but the reality is people were screaming for him to try 12 and 13 personnel he did a lot of that including trying Jonathan Harrison at fullback it didn't work the receivers were getting open Luke Falk didn't see them Plus, on top of it, as you said, the offensive line was dreadful, although Falk made them look worse than they actually were. So as much as I dislike Gase, I didn't like the hire. He's done nothing to make me think that I was wrong in not liking the hire. I got to be fair here. There really wasn't much he was going to be able to do with the combination of that offensive line and Luke Falk. It's one thing if you have one or the other, but when you have both together, that's a combination that's almost impossible to overcome. Yeah, look, I've, you know, you guys know of what I thought of Gase before he got hired. Uh, You know, I've been critical of him over the first couple of games. I really can't criticize him, uh, his play calling, how his game plan and attack, I really can't do it against that Eagles game. Uh, If you want to talk about not having the players ready, um, that, okay, I'm good with that. I just don't know how much of that specifically is on him, how much of that's on his players, how much of it might not might be on Frank Pollock. I just I don't know how to split that up. But he did what we've been asking them to do more. He he gave used more tight ends and blockers. Those tight ends were just getting destroyed and abused. I mean, he he did it. Uh you know, the, uh, you look at the second half of that game and they got up those tight ends, and I'm just watching Eagles players just blow through both the tight ends on the sides. Um, he had uh, play designs where 
there were receivers open downfield, and Luke Falk just didn't see them, didn't hit them. Uh, Luke Falk wasn't able to execute this stuff. The offensive line and the tight ends weren't able to execute the blocking. Um, he he did try to get uh, open things up a little bit more, do things to buy more time for Luke Falk, to get him more protection, and everything he tried, it just didn't work. But this this game against the Eagles, he tried it. I've been saying for weeks that was my criticism really since the Browns game. I was saying, just try. Like, you, you got to try. My biggest complaint with them so far has been he seems too content to just punt on a drive. Second and long, oh, well, we're not going to get first down. <clears throat> Against the Eagles, he went for it on fourth and one. And it probably isn't the play call I would have ran, but that was a bad play by Luke Falk. Um, I don't really have much that I can criticize Gase for for that game against the Eagles. Um, now, maybe I would be able to criticize him more if the offensive line was better and if Darnold was was starting. But from what I saw in that Eagles game, I really can't criticize Gase uh, much at all from that Eagles game. Like I said, there's a reason the Jets were more than two touchdown underdogs last week against the Eagles. That combination of Luke Falk and the Jets' terrible offensive line is a combination that's pretty much impossible to win with. But there's also a reason why the Jets are only seven-point underdogs this week going up against the Dallas Cowboys. Part of that is because they're home instead of on the road, but also part of it is because Sam Darnold is back. So the line shifted quite a bit when there's a quarterback in there who's halfway competent. Imagine that. If you want to get in on that action and place a bet on the Jets, head over to mybookie.ag right now, sign up and use the promo code overtime and you'll get your first deposit matched in full that means that your first deposit will be doubled when you sign up at mybookie.ag and make your first deposit using the promo code overtime you can bet on the game or a bunch of props too you can bet on the over under you could bet on who's going to be ahead at halftime you can bet on individual players is Le'Veon bell going to get over 100 yards is sam Darnold going to throw two touchdowns or more in his return to action will i be able to get out of the parking lot in under an hour after the game I'm going to bet on no on that one. The Jets really have to do a much better job of figuring out how to navigate this whole parking situation. It's getting out of control. Bet on any of these props. Well, I guess except for the one with me in the parking lot. That one you probably can't bet on. And a whole bunch of other props that are available right now at mybookie.ag. Just use the promo code overtime and you're going to get your first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. By the way, Chris, Peter J. Dillard has a second question. He says, I always thought the Jets giving Josh McCown $10 million was about the idea of him becoming a coach for the year. Since that was obviously not the case, if you could do it over again, would you have kept Teddy Bridgewater and then brought him back this year for the $10 million that you gave Josh McCown last year? He obviously is okay with being a backup. Obviously, you give Teddy Bridgewater whatever it takes. I would have given him $30 million if I could. Whatever you have to do to get Teddy Bridgewater to stay, he's the linchpin of the franchise. If you've learned nothing from listening to this podcast, I would think that you would have learned that by now, Peter. Okay, now that I've gotten that out of my system, let's answer this seriously. Here's the problem. 
Teddy Bridgewater was an asset that the Jets really weren't going to be able to use last year because of the fact that they had brought back Josh McCown. So they dealt him away for a draft pick that now turned into Chuma Adoga. We'll keep our fingers crossed that Adoga ends up paying dividends down the line or even later this season. I understand what you're saying about bringing him back to be a backup for $10 million this year. The problem is that I think Teddy Bridgewater went to the Saints for two reasons. The first is that he knew the Saints were a Super Bowl contender, and so if he was going to be a backup, he was going to go there. I think the second is that he felt that his future was in better hands being the backup to Breeze and potentially the heir apparent or having his stock go up for next year when he becomes a free agent again, rather than going to Miami, starting, and getting murdered the way that Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen have. So far, it looks like he made the right choice because he's looked solid in the games that he's played for the Saints, and I think he'll get a chance to start somewhere next year unless he decides to stay with the Saints and, again, be that heir apparent for Drew Brees. So I just don't think it would have made any sense on his part to come back here because he wouldn't have felt the Jets were a legitimate contender for a Super Bowl the way the Saints are. And it's a very different story when you're talking about a 40-plus-year-old Drew Brees who's close to retirement and playing for Sean Payton as opposed to playing for Adam Gase and sitting behind a 22-year-old quarterback who you expect to be the linchpin of the franchise for the next decade plus. And obviously, the mono changed things, but there was no way that anybody could have known that that was going to happen. So while I do wish that Teddy Bridgewater was here in all seriousness as the backup I just don't think that there's any way that he would have wanted to come here, even if they would have offered him the amount of money you're talking about. Yeah, I think you hit it right there at the end, um, as the part about Drew Brees being older and the Saints. There's always the possibility there with Bridgewater that he could be the next quarterback in waiting. But uh, you also got to remember they traded him when they tra- the Jets traded him. He was on a one year contract, so his contract would have been up, and then he could have gone and signed anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like you were saying, I don't know how you can really think that he would have looked around and saw everything and been like, you know what, I want to resign here just to be Darnold's backup, right? To back up a twenty two year old rookie quarterback that this mm-hmm. franchise definitely wants to be the guy. Um, but then and this is also the important part because, uh, as you mentioned, um, he, he's gotten a chance to play in New Orleans and he's looked pretty good and he has definitely helped his stock. And let's say, you know, a team like <clears throat> Denver or Cincinnati ends up winning a couple games and they they miss out on being able to draft one of the top quarterbacks. Maybe they go ahead and take a chance on him with the starting job next year. But – as much as it would be better for the Jets to have uh, Teddy Bridgewater than Luke Falk, I don't think that Teddy Bridgewater would have them at anything other than 0-4 here. Um, the, the Saints have a much better offense all around. Uh, it's not like Teddy Bridgewater on this Jets team against this schedule that they've played. I don't think the Jets were, are winning any of those games. Um, so I, you know, they, they would have lost a little, they'd look a little less embarrassed, embarrassing as they played. Everything wouldn't be so doom and gloom, but they'd still be 0 and 4, I think. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Swifty. He says, who should be the backup quarterback for the Jets? Obviously, Falk isn't good enough. So there's a lot of layers to this. The first part of this is that there really aren't very many options out there for the Jets that are going to be able to make any kind of market difference, especially since the Jets are probably going to wind up with a very poor record once the next couple of weeks conclude. They've got Dallas coming up this weekend, and they've got the Patriots, and then they've got to go on the road against the Jaguars before the schedule lets up. So at this point, I don't know exactly what it is that a backup would do because if Sam Darnold gets hurt again, the Jets are pretty much screwed anyway. I guess you could go out and get somebody like Brock Osweiler. I just don't think he's going to move the needle at all because he's terrible. If you look at the guys that are available, I know a lot of people are going to bring up Colin Kaepernick, and I'm not going to wade into everything else around him. I'm going to stick to just football on this. The reality is he hasn't played in three years, and so if you want to make the argument that he should be the backup for Sam Darnold next year, I think you could easily make that argument. The problem is we don't know what he's going to look like after three years, and he's going to take months to be able to be ready, plus there's the whole system fit situation. I don't think he's a realistic option for the rest of this year. Again, you can revisit that discussion at the end of the season going into the following season and whether or not you think that he would be a good choice to be the backup for Darnold then. One more time, just so nobody gets all riled up about this on either side, I do not want to have a conversation about all the other stuff. We're sticking to football on this particular topic. That's what I think the reality is as far as he goes. So for people that are going to mention him, I think that's the reality there. And everybody else, we know what they are. There's not really going to be any kind of improvement. I think if you wanted a legitimate backup quarterback once Simeon went down, 
your only hope was going to be to trade an asset to another team for somebody like, say, Tyrod Taylor. And that's only if San Diego wanted to move him because obviously he's a good backup to have for Phillip Rivers, who's older, and you want to have a hedge because you figure that the Chargers were going to be in playoff contention. That was the only other option they were going to have besides the guys that are available that really are not going to do anything. So I hate to give you this answer, but it's the truth. There's really not much you can do as far as the backup. You're really rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic at this point, and you're just going to have to grin and bear it and hope that Darnold can stay healthy the rest of the season. And on top of that, let's be real, we can talk all we want to about winning games, and it is obviously important, but the main thing now the rest of the season is going to be developing the younger players, particularly Sam Darnold, because there's no way this team is making the playoffs anyway, so there's no reason to make some sort of panic win now move, like I said, trading assets for a quarterback in order to have somebody for insurance in case Darnold goes down, and then, wow, maybe the Jets can win one or two games extra and finish 6-10 and 10 instead of 4-12. and 12. So that's really the only answer I can give you. I wish that there was something better I could suggest, but that's just the truth. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, let me back you up on this. I'm not going to wade into all the stuff with Kaepernick, but let me back you up there a little bit. This is not the situation for him. If, we're, if we were talking mm-hmm. about this during the preseason before training camp, that's a different story. Right, exactly. After the season, different story. Yep. Uh, him, him not playing uh, for uh, the, the three years, not having any familiarity with Adam Gase's system to bring. Uh, it would honestly be uh, uh, bad for him. You're throwing him into a situation that's just going to make him look bad. Um, so this is not the situation for him. As to who they should get for the backup, it doesn't matter. It, this team is not good enough for it to matter. This team, this offense needs a quarterback who is going to lift everybody else on this offense. There are starting quarterbacks in this league that cannot do that. There are backups that there aren't. I don't can't think of any backups who can do that. Teddy Bridgewater is a great backup to have, but like I just said, I still think they're 0-4 with Teddy Bridgewater as the backup. I do not think that there is anybody you could mention that could come in that could have just come in and been a backup to take this offense behind this offensive line and to have them better. I just don't see it. This offense is not good enough for a backup to do it. They need Sam Darnold playing. And if Sam Darnold's playing, you're not going to find a, a – you can find a backup that would be better, uh, good enough to beat Miami. But you're not finding a backup that's going to be good enough to beat the Eagles last week. This one comes in from Bear Lover. That's an interesting handle. He says, though he didn't have injury issues his senior year at Alabama – he never had a senior year at Alabama, but I get what you're saying. Quinton Williams has certainly had them throughout most of his brief history as a Jet – do you think this is a cause for concern, notwithstanding the small sample size? No, I don't. Not right now. If this continues, if he continues to get injuries throughout the course of the rest of the season or over the next couple of years, then yeah, it's going to be a concern. But I can't think that because he's had this one injury and been banged up a little bit in training camp that he's injury prone just yet. When, as you said, he had no history of injuries in college. That's just a level of forecasting that I'm not willing to do based on, as you said, an incredibly small sample size. And on top of that, I agree with everything you just said. No need to repeat it. But on top of that, the injuries he had in training camp were like 
yeah, he could play. If, if we had a game, he could play. But there's, we're in training camp here. There's no need to send him out here and risk him hurting himself more. So, uh, again, I said this during the time, not just in reference to him, but with other – a lot of times training camp injuries aren't really injuries. It's just, all right, no need to push him. Let's make sure he gets 100% and heals. So, uh, I'm not – we're talking about football, man. We're talking about playing football, and it's not even necessarily just the collision aspect of it, but just there's so many things that players have to do with their bodies – it's rare that you get fine players who don't have some type of tweak of an injury. If it keeps happening over and over again, you know, obviously you look at someone like Quincy Nunwa, it, it got to the point, it's gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, all right, whatever the reason is, it's not his fault, but it keeps happening. And it's something you got to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm nowhere near that with Quinn and Williams. Next question comes in from Clifton Hopkins. He says, in Adam Gase's last presser, he was asked about players coming back and said he needs to see them out there before he puts them on the active roster. Why is that when they are key guys? I don't understand this. Also, do you think we'll see some more Ty Montgomery now that Sam is back, and how long of a leash should Adam Gase have? Do you think he should have until at least the end of the season? I'll start with that. Yeah, I've been very clear about that. I was not in favor of the Gase hire, but he should absolutely have until at the minimum the end of the season, unless something insane happens. Maybe if he gets into a fist fight with Greg Williams in the hallway or something like that. Although, if Joe Vitt jumps in there and it ends up being a three-way dance, that could end up being the most entertainment we get this season, depending on how things go the rest of the way. As far as the rest of this, Adam Gase saying that he needs to see players out there before he puts them on the active roster. I'm not entirely sure what you're asking, but I guess you're saying why does he need to see these players practicing before he's willing to put them on the active roster? I guess he wants to make sure that they're healthy enough to not compound the injury. So if somebody like Jordan Jenkins is feeling better and he's limited in practice, he wants to make sure that he's really ready to go before he's willing to put that guy on the active roster. No need to put him on the active roster roster and then the guy can't play that's just a waste of a roster spot and then as far as Ty Montgomery goes I think we probably will see more Ty Montgomery if for no other reason than it's just not sustainable what Chris and I were talking about that Field Yates tweeted out earlier the fact that Le'Veon Bell is accounting for over 50% of the Jets offense you can't do that with any one singular player the guy's gonna break down I don't care how great Le'Veon Bell is he's still a human being so I do expect to start seeing more Ty Montgomery I think you'll see him a little bit at wide receiver as well and hopefully whoever is at wide receiver Ty Montgomery or anybody else, Sam Darnold's going to see him much better than Luke Falk was. Yeah, I think I understand his question. I think his question is uh, more, probably more in relation to like Brandon Copeland and you know uh, Herndon before the injury mm, with okay. Herndon. Okay. Okay. Um, because, uh, but I th- I think that the answer to that is really a it's just coach speak, and it gives them a little bit of wiggle room. Coaches don't like to you know, uh, uh, to commit to things. And when they know, like, eh, there's a possibility here. I don't want to tell, like, I don't want to tell you that Jordan Jenkins is going to be healthy and ready to play. And then we go through a week's worth of practice. Cause you got to remember yesterday was the first real practice. He spoke before uh, the practice started. So he had he, Jordan Jenkins is back limited but he hasn't seen him out there. So he's not sure how much he's going to do. So he's just not going to want to commit to that. 
Same with Jordan Jenkins. Um, you know, what, how is he going to look in there? What, what was he, you know, Chris Herndon was able to stay inside the building and everything, but uh, Copeland uh, wasn't. And so what his conditioning, what's his conditioning like? Has he stayed on top of the playbook and everything? All that is, is he going to look rusty to this week? Is, you know, cause it's possible that Brandon Copeland can come out this week and just have a bad week of practice. And they're just like, you know what? It doesn't make sense to activate him this week. Let's hold off on it on next week. So coaches just, if, if there's any question about stuff, they like to give that little wiggle room. Uh, right now you saw it with, with, with Darnold. They, before Darnold even got cleared, Gay said, if he gets cleared, he's going to start. He got cleared. He's that they, they said he's going to start. They didn't see him practice this week before they said it, but they saw enough of it last week. If next week, uh, you know, CJ Mosley gets the, the clear, then yeah, he's going to be fine going with CJ Mosley because CJ Mosley's a proven vet over and over again with the Brandon Copeland's, the Jordan Jenkins, the Chris Herndon's. They're not quite as proven. There's a little more guesswork there. So they, the coaches just like to leave that wiggle room in case it's needed. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Last question comes in from Tom. He says, what do you guys think of this Richard Sherman, Baker Mayfield handshake gate situation? (laughs) So I posted about this on Twitter. It got on my nerves only because Richard Sherman goes out there, starts this whole stir talking about how Baker Mayfield disrespected him by not shaking his hand. It was totally Bush League. And all these blue check mark reporters on Twitter and all these media outlets run with it like it's fact just based on what Richard Sherman said. And then, of course, the video evidence emerges and Baker Mayfield did shake Richard Sherman's hand. And then Sherman changes the story to, uh, yeah, well, he shook my hand, but he didn't really mean it. And he didn't shake my hand properly. And then he backtracked again to, oh, I don't know why you guys are getting all upset. It was a handshake. Ha ha ha. Who cares? You guys are silly. Well, listen, Richard Sherman. I get that arguing over a handshake, whether it happened or not, is silly, but it's not silly when you consider the fact that what you did was light a match, set the whole place on fire, and then sit back in a lawn chair watching as everybody lit up Baker Mayfield all this time when you knew damn well that what you were saying was a lie, and then when the lie surfaces... You didn't apologize to Baker Mayfield. You just kind of mocked the people that were making fun of the whole situation. So that's how I feel about it. I think that Sherman should apologize to Mayfield. I think that all the people that were trashing Mayfield for something that he never actually did should probably apologize. However, I also know how this world works now. It's the old story where the false report gets a billion retweets and the retraction and the correction gets like five retweets. It's just the world we live in right now. It's completely unfair to Baker Mayfield and Richard Sherman should certainly be ashamed of himself because he knew damn well, A, that he was lying and B, the stir that he was going to cause with his comments. 
But that's just how the world works now. I've come to realize that there's not really anything I can do about it other than go on a mini rant here on this podcast, which isn't going to really do anything other than make me feel better for a quick second or two. Yeah, see, I have a completely different take on the entire situation, especially the part about uh, Richard Sherman lying. Because if you watch the entire video, yes, when they first approach, Baker does dap him up. But then this is what, what always happens. The players first approach each other. They dap each other up. They do the coin toss. And then the players go back to dap each other up again. If you watch that entire video, after the coin toss, Baker takes off and runs away while everybody else is uh, dapping each other up. So I just think that Richard Sherman just saw that and used that. And we see this all the time with athletes, professional athletes. Uh, They use little slights, whether it's exaggerated or not, as motivation to go out and beat somebody. And we saw it look at like Michael Jordan's – Hall of Fame induction speech where he's just like making stuff up that to like to to fuel himself and he's already retired being inducted to the Hall of Fame. So if you if you watch the video you do see Baker skip out on the daps at the end there. So I don't think it's fair to say that Richard Sherman lied about it. He was he uh misrepresented exactly how it happened, but I also don't blame him for just being like in that moment, forgetting that they dapped first and then just him saying, hey, that he didn't dap me right there and him just running with that. Um, and, but I just think it's every time something like this happens, we like to make a big deal about it and then <laughs> or, or, or talk about how it's not a big deal. <laughs> but this is what players do. This is what high-level athletes do. They uh, will take perceived slights and make it into a big, huge deal to get them through the game. And then they're, they're still uh, – adrenaline still pumping after the game. And they're still feeling the rush of all that after the game. And he's feeling himself and he's boasting. And so he, he lets it out. And, uh, you know, he did say my bad and then tried to shake it off. I just don't – I just don't – this players do this athletes do this all the time and i think it's understandable as as silly as it seems to me i think in the heat of battle and competition and players the way they work themselves up i think it's completely understandable i think it's fine that he used it as some sort of motivation because listen they're professional athletes so use whatever you need to use to try and pump yourself up But afterwards, when he's talking about it, and he knows damn well that Baker Mayfield shook his hand, and he's misrepresenting it, you could call it a lie, a misrepresentation, whatever, it would have been one thing if he would have apologized and said, listen, I misremembered it, he did originally tap my hand, and then I didn't like the fact that he ran away or whatever, that would have been fine, but that's not what he did. He straight up said, oh, well, yeah, he shook my hand, but he didn't really mean it. And then he flat out went back to, oh, well, what are you guys getting all upset about a stupid handshake for? So he took zero responsibility for it. I think if he had come out and said, you know what? I misremembered it. My bad. Apologize for that. I still didn't like the way that he shook my hand. It felt kind of disrespectful, but I shouldn't have said that he didn't flat out shake my hand and I didn't like the fact that he ran away. That's a whole different story. I think he did this knowing that his comments were going to get Baker Mayfield lit up, which I understand him wanting because he doesn't like Baker Mayfield and a lot of people don't, but it's still not right. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like I said, I just... 
I don't I don't think that it was that calculated. I, I could be completely wrong here, but I just feel like it was just – he felt that in the moment. He played the entire game with it, and he was feeling himself after the game, and he just came out with it. And this happens all the time in sports, and I'm, I'm not going to be concerned about it one way or another. It's just as, – as much as, uh, you know, it, it's – like you can sit here and pick it apart. What does it really matter? So what? He doesn't like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield doesn't like him. Baker Mayfield. This is Baker Mayfield has said and done similar stuff as well. And then it's and so now it's like it can't happen to him. I don't know. Just let these players all do it. Let them all go ahead and say whatever they want. I I don't care. I guess it really is more the fault of reporters who ran with this as a way to slime Baker Mayfield. If they would have just said, all right, whatever, and not made it into a big deal, but this thing spread. And I think that everybody knew that it was going to because at this point, Baker Mayfield is a lightning rod. And even if he's done stuff in the past that he shouldn't have done, that doesn't make this right either. You know, as they all say, two rights made an airplane, but two wrongs still don't make a right. So... I don't like what Richard Sherman did. I think that he lied and then refused to clarify. I think that you were doing your best to defend him in a way that he wasn't even defending himself, Chris. So I just think that it was disingenuous and it was something that he should have corrected. But again, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm just answering how I feel about it, considering that we were asked this question in the mailbag. I hope that... Baker Mayfield grows up a little bit. I like the fact that he's got that chip on his shoulder and that he's fired up, but he needs to chill out. And Richard Sherman, listen, he has a history of saying some things that he probably shouldn't have said, but this is a whole other story because this caused a whole controversy around somebody else besides him. So it's one thing to say something that's going to cause some grief for yourself, but to do it for somebody else that you know is already a lightning rod. I'm not sure if it was calculated, but that's how it feels to me. Obviously, there's no way to know for sure. Only Richard Sherman could possibly know that. And with that, Chris, we wrap up another fun edition of the Mailbag. As always, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. We will be back tomorrow for our pregame report before the Jets kick off against the Dallas Cowboys at MetLife Stadium. The pregame report is going to be up pretty early in the morning, so you'll have plenty of opportunity to listen to it if you can't sleep or if you get up real early or if you're tailgating, whatever it is you're doing on Sunday morning, you'll have plenty of time to listen to the pregame report, and we're going to have all the injury information and so much more. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for that, Chris, why don't you tell everybody what they can expect over at your great website, JetsInsider.com? Yeah, I'm gonna have uh, I'll have the a game preview up. I'm also gonna have uh, an article up looking at you know what to expect of this offense now that Sam Darnold is back. Uh, again, they they still don't have a great offensive line. They still don't have a ton of weapons, especially with Chris Herndon out. But what type of improvements can we expect to see? How much better can this offense uh, look with Sam Darnold back? And then, obviously, we'll, we will be uh, focused on the Cowboys game 
on Sunday and then uh, what happened and breaking down all that afterwards. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow his deputy editor, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And despite the fact that he's not with the Jets anymore, Alan remains the president of the Calvin Anderson Fan Club. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Let's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.